Mr. Waylau to come and bring our readings. Uh, I'll pray in between and let us give our attention to the good word of God as Mr. Waylau brings it to us. Thank you, sir. If you would please turn with me to Psalm 5. Psalm 5, let us hear now the inerrant, infallible, and inspired word of God. To the chief musician upon Nehiloth, a psalm of David. Give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my meditation. Hearken unto the voice of my cry, my King and my God, for unto thee will I pray. My voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee, and will look up. For thou art not a God that hath pleasure in wickedness, neither shall evil dwell with thee. The foolish shall not stand in thy sight. Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. Thou shalt destroy them that speak leasing. The Lord will abhor the bloody and deceitful man. But as for me, I will come into thy house in the multitude of thy mercy, and in thy fear will I worship toward thy holy temple. Lead me, O Lord, in thy righteousness because of mine enemies. Make thy way straight before my face. For there is no faithfulness in their mouth. Uh, Their inward part is very wickedness. Their throat is an open sepulcher. They flatter with their tongue. Destroy thou them, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions, for they have rebelled against thee. But let all those that put their trust in thee rejoice. Let them ever shout for joy, because thou defendest them. Let them also that love thy name be joyful in thee. For thou, Lord, wilt bless the righteous. With favor thou wilt compass him as with a shield. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his holy word. So as an introduction to the psalm, uh, we have our psalm title. We note that it is, again, to the chief musician, which we have heard before, means that it is for public worship. Um, It says it is upon Nehiloth. Nehiloth, um, it's uncertain as to exactly what it means, but I think some of the best commentators um, relate it to Neginoth. Neginoth means on a stringed instrument that Nehiloth would be upon a wind instrument. Um, As far as the historical context, there's not enough information in the psalm to conclusively infer an an identity or historical occasion to this psalm. But that's rather not important. And why I say it's not important is not all psalms are designed to suit particular times and circumstances, but are to be used as descriptive of the believing life generally. Uh, to provide direction, to provide instruction, to stir us up to greater spiritual exercise. And so I think that this is one of those psalms, and when we sing this type of psalm, it should be a time of reflection and of self-examination. Can I rightly put the words of the psalmist upon my lips? 
Can I dedicate myself with the same kind of devotion that the psalmist is expressing in this psalm? And so when we come across a psalm like this, and especially as he talks about, you will hear me in the morning, can we take those words upon our lips? Do we come to the Lord with the same kind of devotion? So moving into the exposition, we'll start off, uh, I, I divided this out into three sections, um, a bit of a loose sectioning, but we'll go forward. Uh, in verses 1 through 3, we see the psalmist here uh, offering up his prayers and supplications to the Lord. There's a, several things that we ought to note about this. And the first thing is, is notice where he is, what the object of his prayers and supplications are. They are to the Lord. They are directed to God alone. And as we learn about in the New Testament, of course, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He calls him, O Lord, that is Jehovah, the uh, self-existent, unchangeable, eternal covenant-keeping God. He is my king. He is the one who rules, establishes laws and judgments, rewards those that do well, punishes those that do evil, and provides protection and succor to those over whom he rules. And he is my God. He is the almighty God. He does whatsoever he wishes in heaven and in earth. This is the God whom we pray to. And so using these three terms then, we note that the psalmist is expressing the fact that he has confidence in the one to whom he prays. As a covenant-keeping God, as his king, and as, a, as the almighty God. The content of the prayer is not specifically mentioned, but the methods of prayer are. He notes that there are my words, my meditation, and my cry. Meditation here can be inward moanings, whispers, thoughts, desires, <coughs> affections, laments. In Exodus 14, it said of, of Moses that he groaned, and then it said, the Lord said, I heard your prayer. Right? And we hearken back to passages such as Romans chapter 8, where we see that the Spirit helps us in our infirmities when we don't have the words to express the Spirit fills up that prayer for us. And then my cry, outward crying, lamenting, distresses. The thing that we ought to learn here is that we ought not to be afraid to order out our prayers, to lay out our thoughts, our affections, our laments before the Lord. For our, no, our Lord knows what we need. Our Lord knows our struggles. Our Lord, uh, and he invites us to bring them boldly before him. The other thing that we learn by these three words is that our prayers ought not to be, uh, we ought not to be disinterested in our prayers, lacking any affection. When we pray, the whole of our soul is being lifted up before the Lord, and we are directing and ordering our prayers as Hezekiah did as he brought in the, his petitions before the Lord when Sennacherib was outside the wall, and lays them in order. And then as the psalmist goes, he says, I will do this in the morning. That is, he's coming to the Lord with diligence, with devotion, with determination. Every day, diligence in rising up early in the morning to bring his prayers and petitions before the Lord, before the torrent of the day takes him away. If you're interested in doing your work well, how you start your day is often how you will finish it. 
The other thing is devotion, putting priority on first things first and framing the rest of the day accordingly. The man giving his first waking thoughts to God sets his path in the way of devotion for the remainder of the day. And then determination, not only looking to one's own current habit, but he said, you will hear my prayer in the morning. He's devoting himself to constancy in this practice. Excuse me, in this practice. And then he says, I'll order my prayers and then I'll look up. And so we note here the expectation of the psalmist. That his prayers are not as, as the archer who shoots his arrows at a venture, not knowing whithersoever they go. We order them before the Lord and we look up with expectation, waiting for the manifestation of the wondrous working of God in answering prayer. Okay, so we have this frame. And I think implicit in this is, is the psalmist is praying for righteousness, and I'll show you why. In verses 4 through 9, the psalmist then turns and contemplates the lot of the wicked to the end that he might be stirred up to more greatly desire righteousness, employing all means to ensure that unrighteousness is avoided and trusting that the Lord will pour forth his grace and keep him in the path of righteousness. So to this end, he calls upon the very nature of God. God is righteous. God takes no pleasure in wickedness. Um, and so then there is a fearful expectation of, for the wicked in that they have no fellowship with God. And the fl flip side is also true. That those who walk according to the righteousness of God in faith, have an expectation that God will be pleased with Christ's righteousness in us and our righteousness through Christ. He devotes, uh, he, he, uh, uh, having contemplated the lot of the wicked that the Lord takes no pleasure in them, he at, turns to himself and then asks, what shall my ways be as we move a little bit further down? So really getting into verse 7. The righteousness of God serves as an anchor for those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, that the Lord will work in them to improve their sanctification in this life. The psalmist devotes himself to the worship and service of God that he might be instructed in the ways of righteousness. He's going to employ the means in order to achieve the end. He will come into thy house. In thy fear will I worship toward thy holy temple. As far as... Uh, trusting in the accomplishment of these things, the psalmist places his trust for the efficacy and accomplishment of his devoted purpose solely upon the mercies of God. I will come in the multitude of thy mercies. Lead me, O Lord, in thy righteousness, and then make thy way straight before my face. In these three petitions, we have uh, three different things mentioned here. Uh, there's a contrast between the uh, the multitude of thy mercy and the multitude of their transgressions in verse 10. Right? So the expectation here is that if I am receiving the multitude of God's mercies, I will not be multi walking in the multitude of my transgressions. It is not according to one's own rectitude or merit that he may stand before the Lord, but according to the multitude of his mercies. Lead me, O Lord, in thy righteousness then. Thy righteousness is considered in two senses. First, the righteousness which is imputed to us uh, in putting our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And then the righteous ways and paths as an outworking of those gracious benefits of Christ, whereby the godly grow in sanctification. Both are necessary. And this is just succinctly put, thy righteousness. One thing to note here is by way of application. Notice that if we accept God as our king, we also must be mindful of his laws and ways as well as his mercies. If we reject his rule and laws, we certainly reject his mercies and grace. Christ was given to be our righteousness, and he is also given to be our sanctifier. We will be taking on his image as we put our faith and trust in him. And then make thy way faith, uh, straight before my faith. We face, we see a twofold appeal here. We pray, he prays that God would make his way, the way of righteousness, perspicuous and direct before the psalmist so that he might walk before it. It is as if he is saying, Lord, shine the light on your path and make it smooth. Make the way straight before me so I know where I'm going. And then the second aspect is set my face toward it. Right? There's two things that are necessary there. Not only to know the way, but to be changed to follow the way. And then the psalmist uh, will recognize that the way of the ungodly man will not guide him in the paths of truth and righteousness. Right? So he's turning himself solely and, and placing himself solely upon the Lord. He's saying... There's no faithfulness in their mouths, mine enemies. There's no, their inward part is very wickedness. Their throat is an open sepulcher. They flatter with their tongue. They cannot give me direction in righteousness. Lord, if I'm going to learn righteousness, I must learn it from thee and thee alone. And so with that, as he's th- contemplating his enemies, I want you to note, beloved, that we are not just looking out there. We're also looking at the enemies in here. That flesh, those remnants of corruption, that that stain that it still exists in us since we have been delivered from sin, yet we still have those remnants of corruption. He knows that he cannot look in himself or in any of the enemies out there to learn righteousness. There's only one place in the cosmos he can go to. And that's before the Lord. All right, and then finally in verses 10 through 12, having considered the righteousness of God both in his hatred uh, for, of the wickedness and pleasure in righteousness, the psalmist sets his affections in accord with, the righteousness, with that righteousness and prays that God would vindicate his righteousness and holiness in two respects. In the punishment of the wicked, right? He says that they, God would destroy those who trust in the wicked counsels of their corrupt heart, walk according to the multitude of their transgressions and rebel against the Lord. But then that the Lord would also vindicate his righteousness upon those who put their faith and trust in him that they shall not be ashamed, but instead that they will have rejoicing, joy, blessedness, and favor with their God. And so this is the prayer of the psalmist. I've I've contemplated it almost as the psalmist looked at Psalm 1 And then said, how shall I do that? How shall I be that blessed man? And what does he start with? Prayer and worship. Not two separate things, but certainly connected. And so that's the way I've contemplated Psalm 5. I hope that's helpful for your meditations as you 
go forward with what we've done. And with that, then, we'll end our reading of Psalm 5.